Thank you for tuning in to the Remodel Church Podcast. We hope this message inspires you and encourages your daily life. Hey, good morning, TRC. I'm so glad that you're here. And let me tell you, I am so thankful for all of you who serve in the ministry so faithfully. If it was not for all of you who are bringing snacks, who are cleaning up, who are setting up for worship service, who are leading worship and leading prayer and all of those things, if it were not for all of you doing all of those things, there's no way that I could ever be gone on a Sunday morning. But because you've been faithful to the calling that God has placed over your life and you're using your gifts to extend his kingdom and to build ministry, uh, because you're doing all of those things, it gives me and my family freedom to be able to do things like go down to the beach to marry uh, our worship pastor with his brand new wife. That's something to celebrate. He'll be gone this week and another week, but when he gets back or when they get back, we're going to celebrate big time with them. Uh, if you would, open up your Bibles. Go with me to Matthew chapter 26. That's where we're going to be basing our message out of today. So as you find your Bible, and as you go to Matthew chapter 26, uh, we're going to start reading in verse 31. But I want to share with you just a little bit of what's going on here. You see, what's, what's happening is this is actually the last day that Jesus is going to have with the disciples. And so he's being very intentional with everything that he's doing and everything that he's saying. And uh, so he has gathered, they're celebrating the Passover and they're sitting around a table and he's establishing what we know today as communion or the Last Supper. And he's sharing with them, drink uh, or, or take this bread, it's my body. And he's signifying that he's about to be, uh, he's about to be taken and crucified on the cross. And then he says, drink, my bl- drink the wine, this, this represents my blood for healing. And, and he's representing and he's showing them that, that uh, he's about to pour out his blood for, as sacrifice for forgiveness of our sins. And uh, we pick up here, Matthew chapter 26, we'll start reading in verse 31. Then Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. And listen to what Peter says here. Peter answered and said to him, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. You hear the pride and the arrogance in that? I won't, even if everybody else messes up, Jesus, I'm never going to mess up. Even if everyone else denies you, I'm going to be perfect in my faith. I'll never be made to stumble. And Jesus responds with this. Assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Listen to Peter's response. Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. Next thing you know, Jesus goes off and he starts to pray because he's, he knows he's about to take on literally the weight of the entire world onto his shoulders. And he goes off and he's praying and he's asking God for strength and he's asking God for his will to be done and for guidance. And, uh, 
as he comes back, he finds the disciples sleeping, and he wakes the disciples up, says, hey, guys, you guys need to pray so that you don't fall into the t- temptation. Jesus goes back, and he prays a little bit longer, and then when he, whenever he comes back, a, a, a group of Roman soldiers are approaching, led by Judas, and Judas comes, and he gives them a kiss, and with the kiss, he betrays him, and he lets the Roman soldiers know that that's Jesus, that's the Messiah, that's the one that you guys want. And they immediately begin to uh, uh, capture Jesus. And when he does, Peter actually, semi-true to his word, what he does is he draws a sword out and he begins whacking at guys and he actually takes a guy's ear off. And so Jesus begins to pray. He, Jesus uh, stops Peter from doing that and then he picks up the ear and he prays and he heals the man. And then all of these disciples are dumbfounded. They don't know what to do. And they watch the man that they've been with for three years, the man that they've learned from for three years, they watch him be carried off by this group of Roman soldiers. They take, they take Jesus to prison. Once he's in prison, they begin to uh, judge him and condemn him. And, and then, uh, you know, the, the ruler actually says, I don't want to crucify him. I don't want to kill him. He hasn't really done anything. So he actually takes him out before the crowd and says, hey, who do you guys want? It's, it's custom for us to release a prisoner once a year. Do you guys want us to release Jesus? He hasn't done anything really. Or do you want us to, to release this other guy? And they say, no, 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 no. Crucify him crucify him, crucify him. And so they take him, Pontius Pilate takes him, and he says, you know what, beat him, but don't kill him. And maybe they'll be happy with that. So they take him and they beat him with the cat of nine tails, and, and they whip him almost uh, uh, to, to death just about. And he brings them before them again, before the crowd, before all the, the multitude of the priests and all the religious people, and brings them to him again and says, okay, here he is. I'm going to release him. He's paid enough. He's done enough. And they begin to cry out again, no, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. So now they give Jesus a cross and he begins to go up this hill. And once he begins to walk and carry this cross up the hill, this is where we pick it up here again in Matthew chapter 26, verses 69 down to 75. Now Peter sat outside of the courtyard. Peter's watching from a distance. And a servant girl came to him saying, you also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all saying, I do not know what you are saying. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, this fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again, he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely I say, you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. Remember, Jesus prophesied this over Peter. And Peter, and and then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. Immediately, a rooster crowed and Peter remembered the word of Jesus who had said to him before the rooster crows you will deny me three times now listen to this last part so Peter went out and he wept he cried bitterly shame overwhelmed him let's pray God we thank you so much this morning
We thank you for being in this place. We thank you for your presence. We thank you, God, for your word. We ask you, Lord, this morning that you would help us to understand your word. Help us to receive your word. But God, more than anything, help us to live your word out. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody says, Amen. Amen. So what has happened with Peter has probably happened with all of us in some point in time in our lives. See, Peter made a conscious decision. He had already said with so much proudfulness and so much uh, uh, arrogance, he said, I'm never going to deny you. I'll never stumble. Even if everybody else does, I never will. And he falls into hypocrisy because as soon as he's confronted, he begins to deny Jesus. And he doesn't only do it one time, but he does it three times. He had three opportunities to remember the conversation that he had with Jesus, to remember the the arrogance that he had said it with. And three times he forgot until that rooster crowed. And as soon as he heard the rooster crow, shame overwhelmed him. And if we're honest, We've probably all been there. We've all done things that we thought we never would do. We've all said things that we thought we would never say. We've gone places we thought we would never go. Our sin, for every single one of us here in this place, everybody listening to my voice, more than likely our sin in some point in time has taken us farther than what we ever thought we would ever go. And we've made bigger mistakes than what we ever thought we'd ever make. We made wrong choices, we said the wrong things, and we hurt people that we never, ever wanted to hurt. You see, so sin is is a part of life. We're all going to sin. Romans 3.23 says it, Well, for all have sinned. But what the devil tries to do with your sin is he tries to sneak in shame. You see, and while all of us are going to have sin in our lives and and none of us are going to be perfect, we shouldn't have shame in our life. And this is what Peter is overwhelmed with at this moment. And maybe some of us here are overwhelmed with it right now. Let me define shame. Shame is a painful feeling of humiliation caused by consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. The thing that I want us to understand about shame is actually two things. Number one, sometimes shame is self-inflicted. Sometimes I have shame in my life because of my own decisions, because of what I have chosen to do, because I willfully and consciously made wrong or foolish decisions or choices. I behaved badly. It's self-inflicted sometimes. And again, maybe some of us are facing that today. Maybe some of us are sitting here today and we're wishing we would not have done the things or said the things that we did. And we're filled with overwhelming shame. Maybe some of us have seen that side of shame. But maybe some of us have seen the other side of shame. You see, shame isn't always self-inflicted. Shame isn't always caused because of our own behavior. Sometimes shame is caused by the behavior of others. Sometimes shame is pushed upon us. You see here, shame is self-inflicted for Peter, but then it's also being pushed upon him because they're not letting it go. 
they understand that he's probably lying, that he's sinning, that he's, that he's uh, neglecting and refusing to, to listen to or acknowledge his relationship with Jesus. But instead of just letting it go, they keep nudging at it. And I can imagine the words being said like, how could you deny him? How could you act this way? And that's why Peter even goes as far as to curse. And as soon as he does, how could you act that way, being a Christian? Has anybody ever heard that before? Well, I thought you went to church. Oh, I thought you were changed. I thought you were different. I thought you loved Jesus. You, you ever, does that sound familiar to anybody? Most of the times it's the people closest to us. Most of the times it's our, maybe even sometimes even our family. Oh, I thought you were going to church now. How can you act that way? Sometimes it's pushed upon us because of my judgmental people, by judgmental statements. And sometimes shame is pushed upon us by other people's actions. You see, maybe somebody hurt you a long time ago and you've, you've never been able to get over it. And you feel shame, and, and it's not even your fault. You didn't even do anything. But that man pushed himself upon you, and he hurt you in a way that you, you've never been able to let go of, never been able to forget. That person did those things to you, said those things about you or to you, and they cut so deep, and you've been carrying shame for so long. Sometimes shame is self-inflicted, but sometimes it's pushed on us. It's thrown on us by others. Listen to me. This is what shame does. This is what shame loves to do. Shame makes you question your identity. You see, guilt says it's okay sometimes to feel guilty. You know, if I do something wrong, I'm guilty of sin. I'm guilty of doing something. And so what guilt does is I say, I'm sorry for what I did. If I do something wrong to one of you, I'm going to ask for forgiveness and I'm going to say, I'm sorry for what I did because I'm guilty of harming you or I'm guilty of saying that or, or, or whatever. That's what guilt says is I'm sorry for what I did. But shame changes a couple of words and says, I'm sorry for who I am. You see, shame loves to make us question our identity. And that's what the enemy will do, man. Whenever we mess up again, he'll sneak into our minds and he'll try to sneak into our hearts. And he'll say, you see, you're not really who you say you are. You're not really saved. You don't really love Jesus. You're not really changing. You're not really following Jesus. You're not a good father. You're not a good mother. You see, you're not a good husband or a good wife. You're not a good child. You're not a good uncle or aunt. You're not a good employee. You're not a good boss. You're not a good supervisor. And he makes us question who we are. Let me tell you what the Bible says. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, 
all things have become new. While shame and the enemy want to sneak in and make you question your identity and tell you, you see, you're not different. You see, you're not any good. The Bible tells us that all things are made new for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. So I want to encourage you this morning to kick shame to the curb. Because you are different. You are a new creation. Jesus inside of you is greater than he who is in the world. Don't allow shame to manipulate you into thinking or changing or believing you're not who God says that you are. Another thing that shame loves to do is shame says You'll always be the same and never change. There's a couple of things. This is so real to me because there's a couple of things in my life that I struggled with. Throughout my life, I just, I honestly, I had, I had just thought that this was just a part of me, a part of my personality and, and just who I was going to be and, 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 and just a failure that I was going to have in my life forever. That's what shame likes to do. Likes to make you feel like, likes to make you think, likes to make you believe that you'll never change. Well, that's just who you are. Well, that's just a part of who you you are, a part of who you'll always be. You'll never change. You'll never get over it. You'll never be any different. You'll never be any better. You'll always be that same person. That's what shame likes to do, man. We start to... We, we make a couple of mistakes, we, we commit a few errors, and you see, there you, there you are, right back to it again, just how you always have been. You're, all you are is, is a good for nothing, you'll never be any different. But let's see what the Bible says about this. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should Boast. So while shame tells me, you know what? You're never going to change. You know what I say? You're absolutely right. I'll never change on my own, but I'm not going to rely on my own strength. I'm not going to rely on what I know, but I'm going to trust in the grace of God. It's not by works. It's not by my effort. It's not by what I know or what I can do, but it's all by the grace of God that I am changing day by day by day. And I want to repeat something that I've said so many times to you before. Sometimes life change is an event. And sometimes life change happens in an instant and in a moment and overnight. All of these things are different in our lives. But for most of us, life change is a process. And this is where we need to learn to rely on Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. And understand that just because I'm not there yet doesn't mean that I'm not headed that way. Jesus just isn't done with me yet. God's not done with me yet. Matter of fact, if we're here alive and breathing, it's because Jesus isn't done with us yet. We're not perfect and we, we never will be as long as we're here living on this earth. 
So don't allow shame to creep in and make you feel like you're not changing. Don't allow shame to creep in and make you feel like you're not uh, uh, making progress. Don't allow shame to creep in and make you feel like you'll always be the same because none of that is true. Because as long as we're relying on God's grace, as long as we understand that there is grace, that there is forgiveness, as long as we're doing these things, then God creates the process and guides us along the process. And we're being changed. We're being transformed. Maybe not as quickly as what we would like sometimes, but it is happening. A third thing that shame would love to try to make you do is pay for something that's already been paid for. He would love to make you pay for something that's already been paid for. I don't know about you, but I don't like paying double for things. If I've already paid my cell phone bill for that month, I'm not going to pay it again that month. Or if I've already paid the electric bill or the insurance or, or whatever it may be, I don't want to pay double. But yes, that, yet that's what shame tries to make us do. You see, Jesus has, has already paid a price. Jesus has already taken the cross. He's already taken the shame for us. But we somehow, through shame, feel like we deserve this. We should, we should do something about it. I should pay a price. And shame would love nothing more than to get you caught up in what the church world calls, calls legalism and, and trying to earn your status or earn your forgiveness. And here's the reason why he would love to get you playing that game is, is because you'll never win it. Because there's nothing you and I could ever do or say to ever deserve and earn the forgiveness, the grace that Jesus has so freely given to us. Absolutely nothing that we could ever do to earn it or to deserve it. So because we'll never win it, eventually, after playing this game for so long, eventually what will happen is we'll get tired of running. We'll get tired of trying. And we'll just give up. Listen, listen to what 1 John chapter 2, verse 2 says. It says, and he himself, speaking of Jesus, and he himself is the payment for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. He himself, highlight this, he is the payment for our sins. Shame would love nothing more than to get you to try to pay double, to get you to try to pay the price for your sins. But we can't. We rely on the grace of Jesus. So don't allow shame to creep in and make you feel like you're not good enough. Anybody ever felt that way? You're just not good enough. You'll never be good enough. You'll never know enough. 
That's what shame would love to do is make you feel like you haven't given enough, you haven't done enough, you haven't been smart enough, you haven't been good enough. He would love nothing more to make us believe these lies so that we would just give up on it all and decide it's easier to just quit. But Jesus has already paid the price. We don't have to say, we don't have to do. All we have to do is embrace. So I want to give you two ways that we overcome shame. Number one, you need to know this. Secrecy gives shame power. And because secrecy gives shame shame power, we will share with someone. You see, whenever I'm secretly dealing with sin in my life, man, that gives the devil a big foothold in my life. That allows him to play games in my mind like you wouldn't believe. That's when, whenever I'm secretly dealing with something and I'm, I'm not letting anybody else in and this is all me, this is all EJ's and, and I don't want anybody else to know about it and I don't bring it to anybody. You know what that does is, is that means that makes me Sunday morning whenever worship is so good and I start to lift up my hands, then that's whenever the devil starts creeping in and saying, don't you remember? Don't you know how big of a hypocrite you are? And so I begin to put my hands down. And instead of freely worshiping Jesus, my Savior, my God, I get caught up in shame again. Secrecy gives power to shame. Listen to this. Listen to what uh, um, Romans, no, excuse me, where am I? James chapter 5 verse 16 says this. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Listen, I'm not telling you go put it on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and Snapchat. I'm not telling you that. I I think that would be extremely foolish. I'm just saying find one person, at least one person whom you trust to not be judgmental and someone that's actually going to help you, not someone who's going to spread it like wildfire. Share with somebody your shame. Share with somebody your struggle. Listen, you were not created to live life on your own. You were not created to struggle on your own. Matter of fact, when Jesus made Adam the very first man to ever exist, you know what he said when he looked at him? He said, it's not good for man to be alone. And it's not good for you to be alone in your shame. And it's not good for you to be alone in your sin. Because it takes you to a, down a road that you don't want to go. Let somebody in. Share with somebody. Tell somebody. Somebody who you trust. Somebody who loves you. Somebody who's going who's gonna to have your best interest in mind. Let's be wise. Let's be wise who we share with. But let's share with somebody. The second thing that we do to overcome shame is accept and embrace what Jesus has already done for you. 
accept and embrace what Jesus has already done. Romans 3 Verses 23 and 24. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. For all have sinned. We all, we all relate to that, correct? Every one of us have sinned. There's not anybody that's perfect. We've all sinned and come short fall short of the glory of God. But listen to this, verse 24, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So yes, I've sinned. Yes, I make mistakes and so do you. But guess what? Verse 24 is even more powerful. We've been redeemed through it. We don't have to live in shame. We don't have to be embarrassed and we don't have to walk around with our heads down. We don't have to be shamed and overwhelmed with shame because we have been redeemed. All I have to do is accept it and embrace it. I'll never be perfect. And I'm okay with that because I serve a living God that is perfect. Let's embrace His power and His goodness and His forgiveness and His grace in our lives. Everybody bow your head. Lord, this morning we thank You so much because we don't have to live in shame. Jesus, I ask You that You would move in this place. Move here right now, God. Help us all to kick shame to the curb. We know, God, that you did not create us to live a life full of shame, but actually an abundant life. So God, this morning, help us to give your shame. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you. In just a moment, Jamie's going to pray with you. And I just want to encourage you, if you've ever dealt with shame or if you're dealing with shame, I just want to ask you to just be honest with yourself and be honest and real with God today. And let God do something special. This is the end of the message. For more information, go to www.thurmanmodelchurch.com.